Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's good to be able to worship today. I know a number of us are feeling a lot. I know a number of us are feeling anger, fear, sadness, frustration. And I do want to encourage you that you are in the right place doing the right thing at the right time. Listening to the word of God, worshiping with God's people is the right thing to be doing right now so that you can process things in a healthy spiritual manner so that we can conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so I do believe that today's study will be an encouragement no matter where you're at spiritually or mostly individually or because of the things that are going on. I do believe God has a message for every single one of us today. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for this time in your word. I pray, God, that your word ministers to every single one of us and that, Lord, that we will come away with a conviction to answer your call for such a time as this. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. To give us a quick recap and get us up to speed of what we're going to be studying today, the book of Esther is a story of how uh, the Jewish celebration of Purim came about. And God's chosen people had been in exile for, for years and were under the Persian Roman, I mean the Persian Empire control. And this Jewish girl named Esther, she becomes queen to King Xerxes and she saves God's people. She's used by God to save his people. And last week, Steve Stevenson pointed out the silent sovereignty of God is working for our good. And that God uses ordinary people in ordinary circumstances to do extraordinary things. And so today we're going to study out Esther chapter 4. And to bring us up to speed of where we're at, there's a Persian official named Haman. And he has some major issues with Esther's cousin, Mordecai. And Mordecai helped raise Esther. And he has these issues with Mordecai and really issues, therefore, with the whole Jewish people. And so Haman manages to convince the king to sign a law that would allow all the Jews to be killed. And so that takes us up to where we're at here in Ephesians chapter 4. So let's go ahead and read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. It says, when Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and the order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes, which makes sense because they're afraid of what is about to happen. Really this uh, genocide that is about to take place. When Esther's eunuchs, and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hatak, one of the king's eunuchs assigned to her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. You can see here, Esther doesn't really know all that's going on. So Hatak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa to, to show Esther and explain to her. And he told him 
to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. What's going on here? Mordecai saying, look, Esther, you are the queen. You have to do something right now for your people. Let's continue to read. Hadak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. What's going on here? You know, Esther saying, hey, look, hey, 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 Mordecai, what am I supposed to do here? What am I supposed to do? I, I can get myself killed. What you're asking me to do is to get myself killed. You see, the Persian law at this time, only the king's friends could approach him. And if you did, you can die. If you were not one of his friends, if you approached the king, you can die unless he extended his scepter and welcomed you. And she's saying, look, I haven't even seen the king in over 30 days. Now ask yourself this question. What would you do if you were in Esther's shoes? Would you risk your own life for others? Would you sacrifice your royal lifestyle for your people or just hope that help would come from somewhere else. Or what about Mordecai? What would you do if you were him? And you received that news that, hey, it, it, the request that you have for your, 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 your basically your, your, your adopted daughter can kill her. Would you accept that fate? Would you try to figure out a different plan so that, that your daughter wouldn't have to face such a risk? Or would you continue to convince her of what is needed? Let's continue to read. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arrive from another place. But you and your family will perish. Let's stop right there. Wow. What is he saying? Hey, don't think you can escape, Esther. You'll be discovered and you'll die too along with your family. I'm not sure if those are really comforting words, but they were needed. You know, sometimes in our lives, we need to hear words that are needed and not always that are comforting. But let's continue to read. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Wow, what godly perspective. You know, what, what is he saying here? And Mordecai is saying, hey, look, this is probably by God's design. He, God has been orchestrating things so that you, Esther, where you are at, you can do something and you need to do something. What do you think went through Esther's mind when she heard that? I'm sure she was wrestling inside, torn of what is safe and what is right, what is best and what is needed. I'm sure she was thinking, why me? Why do I have to do this right now? I didn't ask for any of this. What would you have done if you were in that situation? Let's continue with the story. 
Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Wow. If I perish, I perish. This reminds me uh, of Todd Beamer of Flight 93 on 9-11, who, who, who said, let's roll as they took on the hijackers in the plane. You know, there's a whole lot that we can see in this story right here. We can see that, that number one, that, that God is, uh, he'll bring about justice. God will always bring about justice. As we know that, that uh, Haman ends up dying instead of Mordecai and the rest of the Jews. We also see that relationships are needed to help us to do what's right. The need for collective fasting and prayer. There are a number of things that we can look at, but there's really two main things that I want us to see today. And number one, that is the intersection between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. The intersection between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. You see, again, Esther, the book of Esther doesn't explicitly mention God once, but you see his fingerprints all across this story. You can't miss the sovereignty of God in this story. God is working things out to protect his people, to fulfill his promise, and to accomplish his will. And at the same time, you see the role of human responsibility. Look again at Esther chapter 4, verse 14. Really the title, uh, the, the main scripture for our whole sermon series and, and this, this sermon. And who knows, but that you come to your royal position for such a time as this. What's Mordecai saying again? Hey, this might be why God has positioned you for this time. This is the reason God allowed all these things to happen. You see, Mordecai saw in Esther that she was God's person in God's place for God's purposes and for God's people at God's time. But we don't want to mistake in who the true main character is of the book of Esther and who the main character is of the whole Bible. And that's God. You see, God is the main character. He is sovereign. And in this book, you see God working. You see him orchestrating everything. He's the main character and he's the director of this. And everyone else are supporting actors. You see, Esther and Mordecai, they had something to do. And you and I, we have something to do in God's story as well. You see, God is orchestrating things in society and in our world so that we too could be like Esther and do something. This is where human responsibility intersects with God's sovereignty. You see, for God's will to be done, human responsibility was required. And we play the role of supporting actors in God's story, and we have to do our parts. You know, some have coined this the mysterious partnership. And what, what is, that means is that, you know, it's mysterious that, that God wants to partner with his creation, that God wants to partner with his people. God chooses 
for his reason, his purposes, his rationale, his logic, God chooses to work with and through us. What an honor that is, that the, the king, the most high, wants to work in partnership with us. But what a responsibility that is as well. You see, God calls us to be his agents, his physical tools to get the job done here on earth. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. Let's read what it says. We are therefore Christ ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. You see, we are Christ ambassadors. Again, this is the human responsibility that is required by God in this mysterious partnership to fulfill his will here on earth. You see, when God's timing and preparations meet our choices to follow and obey, his will is done and his power is displayed. So let me ask you a question. How about you? What position has God placed you in for such a time as this? Is it such a time to turn to Jesus and make him Lord of your life? Is it such a time to repent, to confess and renounce the sin that has clogged your soul? Is it such a time to step up and be a leader for God's people? You know, too many people turn down stepping up, not for biblical reasons, but we need to understand that God's people need men and women to step up and help and lead. Whether it's a small group leader or it's a song leader, whatever the case may be, is it such a time to be a leader in God's kingdom? Is it such a time to share your faith with your neighbor? Because let me ask you this, when is it not the right time to help someone find salvation? Is it such a time to speak up to a brother and sister who's in sin? and help them out of the, the claws and the traps that sin has? Is it such a time to serve and meet the needs in the church or in your neighborhood? Is it such a time to help someone who is suffering? Is it such a time to give generously to the mission field? Is it such a time for the church to be a light in society? Is it such a time for the church to step up and to speak out and to make sure that those who are suffering, we suffer with them. Those who are struggling right now with all of society's ills, that we do something. I know what it's not a time for. It's not a time for us to get on social media and to get into squats, uh, to, to, to get into to, to, to arguments with other disciples about political things. That's never a time for that. But it is such a time. And society and the news is such a time for the church to engage with people, to have discussions and to bring them into the light so that there's healing, so that people can see that only Jesus is the answer and only Jesus can answer the, the, the ills of society. And that when we follow Jesus and we follow his ways, that there's a transformation that takes place. Brothers and sisters, is it such a time for the church? Is it such a time for you today? You see, there are only certain things that God has designed you for. Your job, your skill set, your experience. That's not just for you. That's just not for you to enjoy for yourself. It is for God to use you for such a time as this. And so what is our response? What should our response be to this? I believe it's for us to have a non-perishable faith. You know, non-perishable food, you know what I'm talking about, right? 
And, uh, you know, usually you do that. Uh, it's not perishable food, meaning it will last and, and it won't go bad. And usually you have the earthquake kits for students in school. I used to love that to get the earthquake kits uh, for, for, for school. And I loved when the last day of school, because then I would, you know, eat all the stuff up and, and granola bars or, or little juice boxes. You know what I mean? Non-perishable food, right? But see, here's the thing. Our response to all of this to the intersection of divine sovereignty and human responsibility, we need to make sure that we have a non-perishable faith, a faith that won't go bad, a faith that that that, that won't go that 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 won't go bad, that a faith that will last when things get tough. You know, more importantly, a faith that is surrendered to God's will, even if it means something will perish. What did Esther say? She said, if I perish, I perish. Esther is risking everything to do her part in God's work. May we have the same faith. May we be resolved to do God's will despite it being difficult. May we have the same surrender to make sure that we do what's right, overcoming the fear of possible negative outcomes. Faith that will accept, you know what, there might be a negative outcome if it means I do this. You know, most in the U.S., we are going to face a similar situation to Esther's. And so we need non-perishable faith in our everyday lives. We need to make sure that we choose God's will over our own. And if it means things will perish, then let them perish. If it means our material dreams, a certain reputation that we desire, comfort or ease, if it means they perish, then let them perish. We need to have non-perishable faith. It means that we will have integrity at work despite everyone else telling half-truths. It means that we will be honest and not cheat on the exam, even if others do the opposite. It means that we will make sure we prioritize God's purposes and meetings of God's people, even if that means our kids can't be in every single sport. It means we will share our faith in Jesus at school and at the jobs, even if that means we will be an outcast. It means that we will invest in the advancement of God's kingdom, even if that means we have less material possessions. You see, my responsibility, your responsibility, is to live out a non-perishable faith in Jesus. Let's go and have some action steps. Number one, ask God for such a time perspective. Ask God to help you have a perspective to see for such a time as this, to see what he is doing and to have the heart and the faith to do your part. God, where are you working? What are you doing? And what do you need me to do? Let me see the intersection of your sovereignty and my responsibility. Number two, ask God for non-perishable faith to be surrendered to his will. Again, the intersection of divine sovereignty and human responsibility. It's a call for us to respond with non-perishable faith. As we close out, let's go to Ephes to Esther, excuse me, Esther chapter 4, verse 14 again. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows? 
but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, and I pray that you and I can have the same response today. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will, la I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Brothers and sisters, for such a time as this.